0: Welcome to the Global Coaches Podcast, a podcast dedicated to coaches, about coaches, for coaches, football, life, and everything in between. The show is intended to allow coaches to share their stories, good and bad, about the profession we all love. At GCP, we keep it real. Come as you are. Each week, we dive into the diversity of coaches' stories from across the globe with hope that you will leave motivated or recharged to continue to build into the lives you interact with on the pitch. Let's get started with your host, Mario Felix. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to Global Coaches Podcast, Episode 4. Very excited about this one. Man, I sound like a broken record, but seriously a lot of these conversations i have with our guests are so informational you know you learn about the person a little bit more intimately um as opposed to the surface level maybe you 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 know about a coach when you see him on the field or you work at camp or even coach against them uh in season uh this guest has been one of my best friends since 2007 uh we were both in each other's weddings um you know have had a lot of just history uh roommates in college for all four years and uh you know it's been amazing to kind of see the progress that matthew gal of ottawa arizona um, has has made in his profession uh from being an naia assistant at a a national powerhouse at mid-american nazarene university to moving on to virginia tech in the acc and then taking a sabbatical heading out west to Pacific and helping start a program and turning that into um, a common name in the NCAA Division I men's game, Uh, and then also talking about wanting to understand the importance of quality of life and a different pace, and and now going back to uh, the NAIA realm and just kind of what it's like to start a program, and he's had a lot of success in everywhere he's gone, but, uh, you know, uh, being where... Matt's from in the Midwest and the experiences he's obtained by living in Mexico um, and battling against the cartel to get kids within their missionary as opposed to them joining uh, the cartel and, and just different life experiences that he's had in the coaching world. It was really great to kind of interview him and, and share his story. And, you know, the hopes here is younger coaches understand that uh, you don't need to chase every job. Not every job's for you. It's not always about the money. Uh, you know and it's just about finding your niche and this is exactly why we do these interviews because we want people to understand that there's a there's a place for everyone and if, if you work hard enough uh, it goes it, it get definitely gets noticed and uh, your players buy in and, and you start creating your own powerhouses and within your own environment uh, and mastering mastering your craft and so very excited to share this podcast with you and 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 give you maybe a different little perspective and what we've been doing and in, in the last couple weeks you know and uh this first month has been extremely exciting it's been a journey um there's been some lessons i've learned and even in the individuals that i know personally hearing their story and maybe a little bit more detail about a fir- certain things it, it's given me a different respect and perspective on them and so you know really hope you enjoy the listen and uh don't forget to subscribe before we get going, I want to give a quick shout out to our friends at SportsLab360 who've teamed up with us on this podcast to offer listeners a nice discount. SportsLab360 is a player-focused soccer IQ platform made up of interactive modules that focus on various tactical principles. Coaches assign these modules their players to supplement tactical themes, addressing, and training ultimately creating an accelerated developmental environment and that's 100% what it is. It accelerates a developmental environment. A lot of players at times make that transition to college and the soccer IQ component just isn't there. Uh, you know, a lot of times the club game becomes a wins and loss thing as opposed to the developmental side and, and, and the best players play and the results are all that matters. Uh, and there's, there's a part of the development is completely skipped. And so, uh, if you're a club coach, great component. If you're a high school coach, great component. If you're a college coach, great component. It, it's user-friendly for every environment, and I 100% stand behind it. Love them. Thanks for supporting us as our as our first sponsor of GCP. And uh, all users get a 20% discount. Discount code is GLOBALCOACHES3. Uh, give Nick a shout. Take a trial. Test it out. Enjoy the show. Like to welcome our next guest, Matt Gal, head men's coach at Ottawa University, Arizona. Matt, thanks for joining the podcast, man. Yeah, Mario, thanks for having me on, man. Appreciate it. Really excited to have you. Uh, Back story: Matt and I have been friends whew, since 2007. Roommates for four years. In each other's wedding. Um, a lot of stories. A lot of fun. A lot of history. So definitely very excited to get you on uh, on the podcast, man. You're you're my fourth guest, um, so you know, now I can consider you of one of the originals. And so um, I, won't, <laughs> yeah. I won't forget about you when I make it on ESPN down the road. That's what I'm <laughs> saying.
1: And like all this was happening, I was like, you better invite me on this thing, man. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Absolutely. So yeah, let's just dive right into it. Tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, uh, how you got involved in the game of soccer. Um, we'll just kind of just open dialogue about, you know, who you are as a person before we get into your experiences as a player and, uh, and now transitioning to your life as a coach.
1: Yeah, so grew up uh, Midwest in a small town called Lebanon, Missouri, about an hour outside of Springfield, Missouri, uh, a, a pretty popular university in Springfield, Missouri State. So about an hour outside of Missouri State, um, you know, soccer wasn't super popular in our town where we grew up. So my brother and I played our club soccer out of Springfield, Missouri. Wow. So we traveled about 45 minutes, an hour, three times a week. I'd drive up uh, and he'd do his homework. He'd drive home. I'd do my homework. Um, and that's that's how we played our club soccer growing up. Um, you know, I was also a basketball player. You know, being a goalkeeper, transitioned to really well to the basketball court in the wintertime in Missouri. So played some basketball, soccer, uh, came time to to go to college and decided to go to uh, Mid-American Nazarene University and the original intent to play both soccer and basketball. So. Um, you know my my dad is was my high school soccer coach he coached me growing up and so coaching runs deep in our family but uh, that's that's what got me into college that's that's the pathway that took us and took me to mid-america
0: absolutely shout out michael and mike yeah the the goats there Um.
1: (laughs) there's some there's some statues of those guys not of me for soccer down in lebanon but uh, those guys there are yeah. absolutely so you
0: know kind of backtrack a little bit more like how young what's your first memory you have of just playing the game
1: yeah um you know i started playing young i played on this uh you know back then it was called a travel team it wasn't even called club soccer back then. <laughs> um, you know i played on this travel team uh we were called like the killer bees or something like that with a bunch of other guys um you know, one of the guys is Corey Bryant, he's still coaching college soccer to this day. But we played on the small team, I think it was about seven years old or so. And I really thought, I really started thinking about soccer. Yeah. Um, I played every sport under the sun. We grew up playing, just like yourself, Mario, baseball, football, basketball. I mean, we, we played yeah. everything. Um, there was no specialization, uh-huh. right. especially in small town Missouri. But uh, I remember doing that. My, my brother got dragged into it, actually, because we had moved from, New Mexico and he was young and, and the only sport that was offered at the time was soccer. And so my brother was the first one to really jump in it. Um, and, and our family really didn't know much about soccer. And so my brother was about seven years old and he jumped into it and, mm. and he excelled right away. But yeah, I that kind of, that's my first real memories of it. And then I didn't really start taking soccer really serious as a player until right when I entered into high school, uh-huh. um, I had always played because my brother did. I always kind of just played on his teams. I was naturally athletic, like I said, I played a lot of basketball, so um, being the youngest kid, I always went with my brother to the field, and as we all know, if you're the youngest kid, you got to play goalie, or you're not playing. (laughs) And so, you know, over time, that just kind of took off, because I went from, I'm the youngest kid at the field, being forced to play goalie, to, well, you know what, I'm actually getting kind of good at this thing, Uh, maybe I could really take it serious. So. so
0: you mentioned going into high school is when you started to take it serious. When did it click in your head? Whoa, I can actually continue and play collegiate soccer uh, and, and, and get school paid for to an extent. When did that start to click in?
1: Yeah. So I'd say it's probably going into my sophomore year. Um, I went to team camp at Missouri state and um, that's when I started playing club soccer. And I think it was probably between my freshman. And sophomore year where I started to develop a little bit more physically, had a really good summer that summer at camp and started thinking, you know what, like, I just beat out this senior um, for his spot, and I'm only a sophomore, you know, I I might actually be kind of good at this thing. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's let's take this serious. I just beat this guy out without necessarily trying. Um, you know, he was a really good goalkeeper, credit to him. I learned a lot from him, but um, you know, for me, I was like, I could, I could maybe be kind of de- decent at this thing, um, going into my sophomore year of high school. Absolutely.
0: So you, you now you're moving on to college. You, you're at Mid american Nazarene University, and uh, from 2007 and 2010 seasons, uh, you know, obviously you're from small town Missouri. Uh, your exposure to soccer is we can kind of agree somewhat minimal. Obviously, traveling, going to St. Louis, probably going to Kansas City here and there, but uh if those don't who don't know the NAIA is saturated with international players and at times these players have played at some very high levels um you know and and maybe even at the professional level not going to name any people but we know players <laughs> that have done that and that's just the reality you know we we all know some friends and teammates that came in as you know 26 year old freshmen you know and yeah, yeah. um
1: how was, yeah.
0: how was that experience going from Lebanon, Missouri and playing club in Springfield, Missouri to living in Kansas City, playing in a very international saturated environment uh, as a freshman? What was that experience like in that transition for you?
1: Yeah, I would say I look back and I was pretty naive. Um, you know, a lot of like a lot of 18 year olds coming up, you know, I thought I was probably pretty good. Uh, I was decently recruited out of high school um like i said landed on mid-america because i could potentially play both sports but uh you know i think it was it was a great experience especially going to mid-america that would you know kevin warland just established the program into being a, a top program at that point he had come in and spend a few years of building it up but at that point mid-america jumped on the map as being a, a pretty top program so stepping into that team you know as a young 18 year old i didn't you know playing a lot of sports, a lot of mentality like you. I didn't care who it was or who I was playing against. Right. I thought I was good. I was just going to go out there and give it everything I could. But I think for me, it really opened my eyes to even more of the game of soccer, that, that uh, all these different perspectives, you know, coming in from different things and having a different coach who's, you know, brings a different perspective. So I would say it really opened my, my eyes up to the total game, uh, not just the game that I knew or the game I saw on TV, yeah. the actual total game of, of what it was. Absolutely. So 27, I'm sorry, in
0: 2007, you enter Mid-American Nazarene and you start off in a program that was just recently had won the NCCAA national championship. Yeah. Um, you know, so obviously like you talked about Ward loss has already starting to establish this program in the NAI or powerhouse conversation. You, you win 11 games in 2007 and then you win 14 games in 2008. Uh, mm-hmm. you're, you're in a goalkeeper rotation to an extent. Yeah. Um, now you're kind of looking at a couple of injuries. Remember when you punched the yeah. kid in the face and yeah. broke his yeah. face in the hand? That was yeah. an interesting shattered, time.
1: Shattered my hand on a six. am <laughs> oh, up six nothing.
0: <laughs> up six nil. Three seconds uh, left. To go three seconds game. left. Goes out to punch a ball. Guy goes in to head it. They're down six nil. He's like, forget yeah. it. I need to put a put a ball in the back of the net. Matt punched it. happen. Yeah. Yeah, a That
1: was terrible. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but you know, I think we can both agree like this is starting to shape uh your soccer mind a little differently because like i mentioned you you were splitting time with a goalkeeper um and so now you're getting two perspectives seeing the game on the field at a very fast high level and then watching someone else do it and kind of starting to understand it a little bit different talk about that and maybe how did you realize that yet like this is something i can potentially go into after i'm done or, you know, like, what was what was the plans and goals going into maybe that 2009-2010 season and still kind of in that same situation where eventually you kind of emerge as, as the number one. But, I mean, for, for a little time frame there, there was a little bit of an experience that you kind of had to take back at least something positive out of what some people would consider being a negative.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I put in a lot of individual work between my freshman and sophomore year. And then going into that sophomore year, I, you know, four or five games in, wherever we were, in um, that game where I broke my hand, I had, it was at that point, I think it was maybe two games before, a game before, where um, Wardlaw and Mike Dye, who's the goalkeeper coach at the time, um, looked at me and said, Hey, listen, we're done this juggling thing. You, you won the spot. It's yours. You own it. You did a great job. And then I go out and break my hand. So <laughs> I was really, I was honestly, uh, I, was, I was pissed off when that happened. Yeah. Um, so I felt like I was the best I'd ever been in my career. I was, you know, finally again just maturing more and then um that happened and like you said that year um we had a really good team I mean we had John Lemon Lucas I mean a lot I mean we're we were stacked that year we won the conference um and uh you know I was really pissed off that I wasn't on the field a part of that but uh you know I was there on the bench I got myself back healthy at the end of the season but um yeah, I really, I would say looking back, like you said, that allowed me to maybe go. Wow, I, I, this is, I probably do want to take this sport serious again. I kind of did it because I was good at it um, and naive and young, um, but then I think there was that moment where I really felt uh, value of the sport. I said, all right, I'm, I'm going to commit my time. I'm going to throw away this basketball thing that I'm just average at, but like, <laughs> um, and I'm going to focus on something that looks like I'm actually pretty good at. And then that's when. I started taking it serious. Um, you know, I walked into Wardlaw's office at the end of that season when we came back actually off of winter break. And I just said, um, listen, soccer is going to be my future. Coaching, something, whatever, I'm committing to it. Let's go. And then it was from there, I played PDL the next summer and after that, for sophomore year. So, it yeah, definitely. Mys, really right? Yeah. Springfield demise. Yeah.
0: Springfield demise. So let's talk about that experience there. You, obviously you, you have a, a pretty serious injury that took you out for a little bit. You made the decision to commit just, just playing soccer, um, you know, and you say you're an average basketball player, but you, you could shoot the heck out of the ball. So let's not, let's not negate the <laughs> fact that you could shoot the heck out of the ball. Um, and so that was also fun. Um, but now you're playing, you're playing and to an extent, maybe a next level, right? PDL, you're, yeah, it's a smorgasbord yeah. of your division one, division two, and then now your NAI players. So I think, you know, for those who don't understand, like it's a summer league, but there's a lot of high level players that you're getting an experience with in preparation for your next season and maybe even potentially moving on. Talk to us about that experience and how, may, how that maybe even shaped you going into your last two years of college and maybe even shaped the way that you coach currently now.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think that that summer um, was absolutely the the springboard into the rest of my career as a coach and as a player because um, you know I got to really play with players from again all over the world. We had players on our team who were in between contracts that um, were, were good players there, but I think that just gave me the confidence of okay, you can do this thing. You can be a next level goalkeeper. You can uh, play at that level because. You know the, the college season went the way it went. The spring was a solid spring um, for in college, but then I went into the summer and I and I won the position out at the PDL level. And I said, okay, if I can play, you know, at this PDL level, had a fun time that summer uh, playing with my brother again. That was a great summer. But, spring uh, Vegas, gotta love uh, it. Man, it was. <laughs> that was a fun summer, uh, just playing and travel around the Midwest, just playing soccer. I mean, it, yeah. was, it was awesome. And I think that gave me the confidence to. Going to my junior year, like, no, this spot's mine. Like, sorry, bud. Like, no one's beating me out for this spot. And I'm going to even step up and take on a leadership role with this team. And uh, that, that really gave me the confidence to be able to do that that next year in college. Absolutely. So now we start
0: transitioning into post-college, post yeah. postgraduate. You, you go on in that, what was it? I believe it was your senior summer or maybe going into your going into senior year you go down and play for the seahorses, correct?
1: No, it was right after senior year. Right after senior year. So. Yeah, it was right after uh, my shoulder surgery. Shoulder surgery, that's yeah, right. So, yeah.
0: so now you're playing essentially the same level, but a completely different region of the country yeah, where yeah. I think stylistically it changes. Um, you know, California, they get to play all year around. There's no weather elements. It's, it's uh, you know, these players are just, it's just a different brand of, of football. In comparison to your environment um, but yeah. then now you throw a curveball in it so for those who don't know about mid-american nazarene it is a private christian university um you know it's the, it's a nazarene uh, denomination but then now you go into the seahorses and that's a private i'm sorry that's a christian environment so now yeah. you go from spring vegas playing for the demise <laughs> to playing for the seahorses, which are two different dynamics. And, you know, you played at a private Christian school. Now you're playing for a Christian PDL. Talk about that experience. Um, and then we'll kind of even segue that into, you know, coaching in the Christian environment. But specifically the seahorses, what that meant to you, the experiences you had, and, and maybe just kind of how that shaped you as a person as now you're done with college and trying to figure out what it is that you want to do in your life.
1: Yeah, you know, like a lot of players, I went down there to try to play. I unfortunately had to have my shoulder put back together um, after my senior season. Mm. And so, you know, you went through a little bit of time not knowing if I was going to even be able to play again, if I was going to be able to throw a ball out of a a box, you know, and start a counter. I had no idea (laughs) if it was going to work again. Right. So uh, a lot of it was going down there to see, hey, can I still do this? Um, Does it still work? I think my first full training session was when I showed up uh, that summer to do it. So, um, yeah. you know, but, uh, you know, it was a great experience down there. You know, you really learn how to truly, I mean, Seahorses do a phenomenal job. And I've, I've sent so many players there to play because I really support their mission and what they do. It's, you know, it's about how to use your faith and through the talents that, you know, God's given you to play the game. You know, like, I can't necessarily stand up and play the guitar and sing and, you know, tell god i love them but but you know i i can go out there and catch a ball it's getting kicked at me at 70 miles an hour that's just the <laughs> gifts that i've been given and so right. yeah. you know it's just learning how to use those tools to you know that you've been given to you to you know continue to express your faith and so my summer down there was awesome um playing like you said it's a different level pdl in the midwest People listening to this, I'm sorry. I'll tell you, cause I played in it. PDL <laughs> in the Midwest and PDL on the West Coast, two completely different brands. Um, yeah. You know that obviously you have your very strong teams out of the Midwest always, but uh, I'd say from top to bottom, every game we played in on that West region, you know that those those are some really really good good games, good players. Had a great experience um, there playing. So you know that that led me to go. Okay, you know, through my experience there and playing, you know, um, I just decided, you know, I was thinking, hey, I really get excited about coaching. You know, I coached club before I went down there in my senior year of college. So I coached club. I knew coaching was part of it. And then when I was down there, I really started getting a lot of more desire to coach these sessions, coach these camps, and I was about my beat up body getting back on the field, trying to throw a ball and cringe every time I did it. So um, and I think that I think I look back and I can see where God was really shaping me during that time to be more of a coach um, than it was to continue the the playing dream. Absolutely. Uh, so then you kind of go on a sabbatical.
0: Heck yeah, man! You, you kind of step away, <laughs> and uh, you know, I remember we would talk like once every month and a half, and it was super spotty on Skype, and yeah. you know, uh, the stories you would tell, kind of talk to us about. What was behind that? You know, was there kind of a wear and tear, wanted to refresh? I mean, and kind of just explain to listeners what I mean by that sabbatical you went on.
1: Yeah. So I went um, with soccer as a goal, um, and there was some playing opportunity stuff, but mainly there, I knew there was a solid um, opportunity that I was going to be able to partner up with a guy who had retired as a soccer player, moved his family, to the middle of nowhere, Mexico, in the jungle. And he was literally competing against cartels, um, creating a soccer club in the same region and area that cartels were recruiting kids to be a part of the cartel and run drugs. And so, you know, we would walk the streets and, and hold sessions and practices um, to try to get the kids to go there and see if yeah. there's a future there. And, and you didn't have to go run drugs for the cartel or get caught up with a cartel, so. Um, Yeah, I ended up going down to Mexico in the middle of nowhere in the jungle um, for several months. Um, I think it was from the end of July to uh, the end of December, I was living in in Mexico, um, just putting together a club. I mean, we we ended up having over 100 kids, had a, a men's league by the time I ended up leaving. Uh, you know the guy that was down there. He had to end up leaving because our cartel was putting heads of animals on his front porch. Because it was really it was that much of a of a battle. But you talk about some awesome ex <laughs> an awesome experience.
0: Yeah, and true
1: sabbatical. And and it really allowed me to, um, you know, as a as a coach and just you know you're coming out of college. You're done, you you kind of decide you know what I'm done playing um, through that experience. And it really allows you to go okay, what is it that I stand for? What am I doing? And it takes you away from Western civilization pressure. I mean, if you remember when I came back, my hair was about this big and my beard was about <laughs> this long. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it was like and I, cast I away. Yeah, Part honestly. That's, yeah. And, it, and it's what it was. And I think that um, it was a great experience for me to come back, like knowing what my mission was in life, um, yeah. you know, which was to coach and impact young men and and looking back the impact I had. And so it really allowed me to come back with a, my head down, ready to go, knowing exactly what I want, knowing exactly what I'm called to do. Absolutely. So, you know, a lot of times what I think
0: in life, you get put in these situations where you're like, okay, I, and I'm, I'm sure you probably went through it. You got there and you were excited, you know, and, and the honeymoon stage ends at, in Mexico and you're like, oh my gosh, my life's being threatened. Kids are going missing, you know, there's dead animals on, on, on the the living getting room, sh- getting the, shot at. Yeah. you know, and, but I think, you know, it's, it's kudos to you because you see a lot of people go on missions and I listen, I love missions and I love the reason behind it, but um, it's, it's for a week. It's for two weeks and they're not actually like living that. And so you went from, you went from, kansas olathe which is in johnson county is the third wealthiest county in the united states to playing uh in orange county with the seahorses one of the most expensive places to live in the world to the jungles of mexico and and really embedded yourself in your life to figure out who you are what it is that you want to do and give back to the community and i think that segues into your your coaching so you know now you return and you're back at Mid-America as a graduate assistant. And in the two years there, you guys have won 28 games, two back-to-back, 14 win seasons, top five in the yeah. country, all Americans, I mean, success, right? Talk to me about the transition now. So a lot of people talk about this. When they go into an environment that is as dangerous as the environment you're in, the transition back to real life isn't easy. And so now mm. talk, back, <laughs> talk to me about now you're re- developing your life in a completely different environment. Yes, it's a Christian environment, but now you're in Olathe again. Uh, and as a coach and you're, you know, you're, you're transferring your playing experiences and faith experience to now being able to kind of be a leader in a different kind of hat talked about that transition and kind of how that experience was for your two years at mid American Nazarene as, as a graduate assistant.
1: Yeah. Now you're bringing back a lot of memories thinking about that transition. Um, You know, I know a lot of people go visit Mexico and their stomach's messed up for a week that they're there. When I came, when I came back to the United States, my stomach was messed up for a week because I was actually eating American food again. Uh, but uh, no, it was a, to me, I would say those who knew me in college and, and during that time, you know, I was a really fast pace, um, you know, as, as we all get caught up in the fast pace. But I think it allowed me to come back a little bit more um mature and slow pace and understanding the importance of different things, you know, and yeah. prioritizing, I think, um you learn when you when you go from having nothing for several, several months to, you know, having a car again and a cell phone. <laughs> I didn't have either of those <laughs> for like six months. Right. So um, you know, I, I it was a great experience. Obviously, um <clears throat> in America we we had some great recruits. We had a great experience. Um i gotta get a drink um, um, sorry and so anyway we had a great experience and uh uh you know we had a lot of good players and so it allowed me just to, to like I said I was focused I knew what I wanted I knew that I was going to get my master's I knew that I was going to recruit um you know and I think already you knowing Wardlaw it allowed me to um know exactly kind of what he looked for in players what he what he wanted out of players and so um and I knew I was going to want to be a college coach and I think That was the first time I think in mid-America Nazarene soccer history that the GA like knew he wanted to be a college coach. And so I think I had a different approach than maybe some other GAs that were there um, where I came in saying like, I, this is what I want to do. What do I got to do? I want as much uh, responsibility as possible. And I'm always indebted to Wardlaw for giving me the opportunity, but also allowing me so much freedom so I could learn. Um, And it was just him and I. So I really had a, like a first assistant type experience as a GA, which is really uncommon.
0: Absolutely. So then,
1: so, you know,
0: as, as a lot of young coaches experience when they're trying to get to that, that end result, it requires relocation. It requires sacrifices. Um, you know, talk to us about the next step. So you go from <clears throat> being at M to two very successful years, obtaining your yeah. master's degree. And then all of a sudden we get, notified hey man i'm moving to blacksburg virginia i'm going to west virginia tech to go and, and coach so now you're you're going from mexico to NAIA, kansas to power five virginia tech and yeah. kind of talk about that transition what was the thought process and going into into that move um and just kind of that wave of life that you were experiencing because we talked about a lot of the current past experiences and they were all been derived within faith. Right. And so now you're going to Blacksburg or, I mean, it's the South. So there's obviously it's, it's built in faith, but you're also at a very big party school and and a program that was a little bit of lacking in, in, in stability and culture for a little bit. And you kind of went in and, you know, you kind of see some, some changes help and drastically changes, but what was that, that experience like, and, and what was the reason behind that move for you?
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, I think what you, you said, something really important there. And if there's, you know, younger coaches listening to it, you know, they're just now getting into it. You know, um, there's a lot of sacrifice you make during that time I was getting my uh, master's degree. I was coaching four club teams and I was a director of goalkeeping and I was teaching workout classes at five o'clock in the morning. And <laughs> forgot about know, the and, boxing and, classes. Yeah, you know, so like, you know, <clears throat> you can't, and I had a great experience of in America, but I think it's, so my experience of in America and the success that we had was one reason why I was able to go to Virginia Tech and, and get that job. The other one was because that job at Virginia Tech was really married to a, a director's role in a club. And having shown that I've coached four club teams at a time at multiple age groups and director of goalkeeping and and that really that experience really married with my experience of college and it was a perfect fit and that allowed me to have that opportunity it wasn't just the success of mid-america that we had um, and the success of our goalkeepers that we had but it was being able to to you know suffice both needs that that position needed at virginia tech so Mm -hmm. i would just say that sacrifice there of you know four hours of sleep for two years was was, was what allows <laughs> you that opportunity to be there you know absolutely um, and then obviously showing up there is the it's completely different you know you're talking about practicing next to a however many tens and tens and tens of thousands of people can fit in that stadium uh, for absolutely. football games you know and so it's a different environment it's a lot of fun you know you get to travel around to All these ACC schools that have been around since almost the beginning of the United States. So, Mm -hmm. from a historical standpoint, that was a lot of fun. Um, You know, seeing that level allowed me to know what is the top level of men's soccer in the country, which is the ACC, undoubtedly. Um, And so, it really opened my eyes to go two things: one, okay, I know what the best players in college soccer what they look like, Um, and two, it allowed me to look back at my experience at Mid America and go, "Man, we had some really good teams." because I don't think that some of our – that previous two years that we went to Final Four, um, Elite Eight, I don't – those teams would not have finished last in the ACC. Um, and so it gave me, like, this appreciation for all levels of college soccer in the United States um, because here it is, like, this best conference in the country. Yeah. And the team I just came from wouldn't finish last in this conference by, by any means. Uh, would, would compete for the conference tournament, in my opinion. Yeah. And that's coming from one to the other directly, um, and so it gave me a full appreciation for everything. Um, it gave me a different perspective on how you can run programs. I learned a lot from my like, brizendine there um from a and he and he's a he's a Christian guy too, but he's in a very secular environment like you talked about yeah but um it gave me a different perspective for sure
0: so now you 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 leave West Virginia I'm sorry, you leave Virginia Tech and now you're traveling all the way across the country. You're, you're moving to California. So everyone thinks that California is like this, like this 500 mile long strip. And it's like five miles wide. Like everything's on the beach. You <laughs> moved, you, you move to Stockton, California. That's right. um, That's right.
1: so, now
0: so, now, so now you're basically back in uh, you know, in, in comparison to violence, Mexico, where you were at. I mean, it's, it's, certain parts it's it's rough but um and let's listen when i visited you in stockton it's awesome it's amazing there stockton's a great city but there are some rough spots so but the comparison because we're talking about your life and the areas that you've lived in which is and i'm getting to this mention of stockton because i think it's molded you to the coach you are right now because remember just back story with you guys is you're from small town missouri so your experiences in diversity are very minimal so now you've oh, gone sure. Mexico, Kansas city, Southern California, Virginia, and now you're, you're in Stockton. So now you, you've basically covered every demographic there's to cover. Right. And so yeah. now we get into starting a program. So you come into Stockton at the university of Pacific with the men's program. You're in a second assistant there. Um, the program is now just kind of resurfaced after a 20 plus year hiatus Um, and so in 2014, you guys win three games and you're three and 15, you know, what is the thought process of, I'm building a program. It's going to be a challenge, but how much of a challenge did you expect it to be? And what are the experiences you gained prior to her prior to coming to UOP that kind of helped you guys as a staff with RJ and, and Farrell, uh, kind of put that, that path in the right, in the right, um, the right steps
1: yeah you know, um, that's a good question. I really I haven't really put that all together. Um, you know I, you know i I talked to R. j before I actually went to Virginia Tech. A lot of people don't know that, um, and um, he talked to me about building up this program, and there's different things going on. I decided to go to Virginia Tech, and then things happened to where you know there's a lot of times where there's neon signs that say, Hey, you need to be going this way. <laughs> and Absolutely. that was one of those moments where when I came back to, you know, to work with RJ at uh, at Pacific to help build that program, they had just finished their first season mm-hmm. ever when I showed up in January, right after that first season. And so um, coming in, there's still that, that foundation building part that I really was excited about learning. My master's degree was in organizational leadership with an emphasis in the, in the cultural development side of things uh, was what I really studied on and so I saw that as an awesome opportunity to take my experiences everywhere um, and then go to a place to help build something from scratch at, at the division one level which is, is super unique um, especially as you see unfortunately a lot of these programs closing down it's not too often you see some starting up you know so
0: absolutely,
1: um, yeah and then you know showing up to Stockton I was really familiar with that environment I mean I, I don't know what the Stockton, I think, is the most diverse city in the United States, I think, at one point. Um, Mm. And so going into there, um, I just felt comfortable because I've been in a lot of crazy situations in (laughs) the three years, four years leading up to that. So I was really comfortable. There's a really uh, youth club there that I came on to be a director of as well. Um, And so getting to Pacific was, was exciting because we're starting something brand new. And I think that second season, you know, we won one game. Um, before we went into that third season where we went to the second round of the national tournament, um, lost to Stanford. Um, and that was great. But what I really, you know, during that time, you know, it was just learning how to be patient and how to be detail oriented. And that's one thing Ryan Jordan has taught me more than anything is how to be detail oriented yeah. during that time.
0: Absolutely. So, I mean, like you said, year one, you win three games and you know, you, you think, it can only get better from here. Right. I mean, yeah. you, you know, and then year two, you guys go one fifteen and one and you're like, it's one of those, Oh shit moments, you know? Um, but what was amazing, cause I was around through all this, you know, I spent time with you guys. I went, yeah. went ran a training session with Monarcas, and those boys were freaking ballers. And, yeah. and then yeah. in 2016, it just started to click. Uh, You guys went off to win 13 games. You beat number 11 ranked San Diego State University who had quality players on that team.
1: Yeah, it was Um, a good team.
0: And so, you know, talk us through that transition from year two to year three. And, you know, obviously you're developing players, new players are coming in, but you still got to get people on the same page. It's tough to bring in players to a program you're just starting And then you're also saying, hey, come play for us. We've got four wins in the last two seasons.
1: Yeah. You know, I I think um, this is where it all really started coming together, where in my experience and then also this experience also where RJ came from. He was an NAIA guy for a long time. Mm -hmm. And I think it's the understanding of a couple of things. One is that we know that there's really good players out there that don't necessarily play on the biggest, greatest, most special uh, DA teams. you know. And so when we did that, we didn't have a single guy. That third year, we didn't have a single guy on our roster that came from the development academy. And we went to that second round. And we made a living on getting players who were maybe under-recruited because of the, you know, that's a whole other podcast in itself. But because (laughs) of the agreement, that was kind of forced upon everybody at one point. And so, um, but, you know, so, so knowing that there's good players everywhere. And then two, the cultural side of things where, you know, my experience and my education um, my experience as a leader and and in college and then my experience of seeing how things were done at Virginia Tech I came in and really established more of a of a cultural standpoint of developing a leadership council developing um, what our core values are because I think Ryan and Jordan credit to them, they spent so much time that first uh, summer going into that first season just trying to get good players yeah. Um, and I think I was able to come in with a different mindset and a different perspective of saying we have quality players. And if you remember, even during that time, we won one game. we were telling people like, you know, we're not that bad. And people are no. looking at us like we're crazy, you know, like, oh, you, you won one game. And we're like, yeah, we're actually pretty good. I think we're going to be really good next year. Yeah. I was like, Dude, you're crazy. You won one game. Like, come on, man. Like and then, you know, I think we in- incorporated more of a culture. We had a really unique setup where. Uh, we had a lot of guys with experience coming back on the field, and um, you know, and those guys were able to to go out there with experience, knowing that they've probably seen everything there is to see. Yeah. Um, with a, with a strong culture of understanding, like this is our mission. Like, yeah, we won one game, but we want to go try to win the conference. Like, and we know that we can, and that's not delusion. Like, that's really a reality. Yeah. And so we got buy in there, and lo and behold, you know, we went out and had a great year. I Absolutely. think it was the nice best turnaround in NCAA history to this day. Yeah, I mean that twenty
0: sixteen NSCAA uh, Far West Region Staff of the Year. I mean, like you said, the turnaround—you win one game in 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 twenty fifteen, and you go on and rattle off thirteen wins. Um, you know, Spencer Vu, I remember him being a baller. Andres Ochoa being a baller. Yeah. Tristan Blackman getting drafted by LAFC now, yeah, starting. He's, yeah. he's in the first. He's in the first eleven continuously now um obviously
1: julio's playing for the roots yeah
0: i mean there's there was you're right there was quality and and, you know and so now it transitions to a lot of people myself as well when you left pacific it was kind of like a huh you know and that's basically (laughs) the best way to describe it so you go from the university of pacific's National far west region staff of the year you know Top 15 ranking. I can't remember exactly what number you guys were at that point in time. Um, and then you go to Surprise, Arizona without a building, without a team,
1: yeah.
0: and you're appointed the head coach. Talk us through that, um, that decision uh, yeah. as well as what that, that first six months look like for me. I mean, I don't think I've seen you more stressed in your life than the first six months of you taking over at OUAZ. Kind of talk us through that.
1: Yeah. So, you know, uh, we're at the end of that season and that, and that was, you know, two years of, you know, people don't see when you, when you have a program that goes from one, you to, you know, a uh, second round loss to Stanford, we should have won that game. Even like what people don't notice is the work that goes in to make that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I worked next to a crazy, sob named jordan farrell um, (laughs) who i thought i worked really hard and i thought i had this uh grind get after i'm gonna do whatever it takes to win games i'm gonna put nine hours at plus into every single scout um and whatever it was gonna take for us to win and then jordan just matched it with his you know uh video reviews of games and stuff like that so um and then plus a lot of people know jordan and i were like region and state uh, you know, directors with PDP and mm-hmm. we're doing market trainings and, uh, we're directing Monarchus. And, you know, there was times I would say most evenings, Jordan and I didn't come back off the road until two, three o'clock in the morning from being out in the Bay area, uh, working state pool and stuff like that. And then coming back, being at the office at 8am showing scout, like, you know, so that those years, I mean, you talk about aging, I think Farrell and I, during those two years and we we're building that program uh yeah. by 20 years and so um you know you just got to the end of that season and, and you have to really I took a really big look at like quality of life at the time you know obviously I didn't realize that like kind of a lot of the hard work of building a program was a reason why a lot of that quality of life was was bad but yeah that's in hindsight when I decided to do it all over again right. <laughs> um, but uh you know I just like the quality of life and and, uh, you know, my, my wife and I were married for a couple of years at that point, and it's kind of ready to start a family. And, um, you know, for me, it was kind of maybe getting back to the roots of what I started with and, yeah. and, uh, and also, you know, having an opportunity to start up a program on my own and not as an assistant. So that was really appealing. And so, yeah, I made the move to surprise Arizona to start up a brand <laughs> new AI program, brand new campus. Um, man, yeah, like I showed up, there wasn't even a sign on the building that said Ottawa University. It was a, definitely a leap of faith. Yeah. Um, you know, it was definitely one of those things that made no sense to anybody else um, and but made complete sense to me. Um, and, and definitely just going back to, to my faith that I was brought up in and, and established in of saying, you know, uh, what's, what's my true, I had asked myself, what was my um, mission statement? And I, I'd preach to our, Specific players. What is your mission statement? What are your core values? What, and then I had to really ask myself, like, what's your mission statement? You yeah. know, and my mission statement wasn't, and to, you know, try to be the head coach of Barcelona one day or try to be the head coach. There was as my mission statement. The simplest part was just to continue to uh, change lives using the game of soccer. And if Absolutely. that's really my mission statement, then it, am I still going to be able to fulfill my mission? at this university at at ottawa university and it's yes absolutely good i can
0: (laughs) so you go into year one no actually let's backtrack there one thing that's six months though that's six months six months let's talk about those six months (laughs) so mind you he matt talked about he moves to surprise there's no signs there's basically one building and it's not even the school's building yet there's then a painting mural of the school. So that's like the epicenter of OUAZ and you get hired, but the catcher here is uh, you have to have a team that fall. And so talk about that and just the challenges in, and mind you, we're talking about starting a program. Like what were the challenges of trying to put together you know, we know you're a competitive person. If you don't know Matt, the dude's competitive. he never gives up. He, he grinds, you know, he talks about quality of life and it's very important to him, but like, no one likes to lose. And Matt's one of those people. Like how do you go from no roster to trying to put together a quality roster and still manage that whole dynamic of starting a program
1: that six month. Yeah, man, that was crazy. So yeah, I got, I pretty much showed up on campus in February. Um, I lived out of a hotel for over a month um, and I lived out of a rental car and uh, uh, hotels on the road every weekend, every weekend I was somewhere. Um, you know, we were blessed enough to just be able to have an opportunity. It was like, just go put together a team, whatever you got to do, just go put together a team. Uh, Cause I knew that we were starting late in February and we needed a full team. Uh, somehow we wound up with 30 dudes come August and I didn't have any assistant coaches until when the guys showed up is when my assistant coaches showed up. And so I signed 30 players in a matter of about four months. Um, it was nuts. And, you know, and just, it just took getting on the phone, all the connections that I had made being, being in the Midwest, um, being on the East coast, being on the West coast, just all those connections that I had made was really where I went first. And that's where I got a majority of my players. I mean, I had what two or three of your club players, Mario, yeah. that first year. Yeah. Uh, I had, about eight club players that i had coached i had about you know some kids that i had coached when they were 10 years old from in kansas city when i was (laughs) at ga like you know like they they, those kids came and played for me you know so it was really starting there and um and using those connections and um you know, and that, that first six months was crazy because, you, like, you're right, I wasn't going to just say, oh, I just need 30 guys. Like, I was trying to go find the best 30 guys I could find.
0: Absolutely. Because
1: uh, I wanted to win games. And I took the approach of starting young. I didn't go to go the junior college route. I saw the success that we had at Pacific um, by starting young. So that first year we started 11 freshmen. So not only did I have a hell of a time starting the program up by August, but I also had to go coach 11 freshmen <laughs> first it's season. in the NAIA <laughs>
0: where they're probably playing, yeah. you know, 22 year old freshmen. You know? Oh, hundred
1: percent. hundred percent. Yeah. So that was fun. I think we went eight and nine that first eight, year. Yeah. 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 With 11, we started 11 freshmen. Honest to God, we started 11 freshmen <laughs> um, younger than probably any junior college team in the country, but it was oh,
0: awesome. No doubt. So yeah. you, you kind of already mentioned the player selection, uh, you know, so talk to me about when you're putting together a new program, your thought processes of staff selection. How are you putting together a staff to where you're able to manage it, but also delegate, which is also tough because, mm-hmm. you know, it's not like you took over a program that has already been established. You're just changing the yeah, culture, yeah. the identity. No, it's, this is my thing. And I, I got to, I get one shot and, you know, now I got to bring on people that are going to be able to buy into that, but to still also have something to give, you know, what was the process of staff selection?
1: Yeah, I learned a lot about staff selection, just in my experience of being in different places and knowing that how I was trying to, um, you know, uh, accommodate what the head coach didn't have where I was. And I, I learned really early on that that's a really good assistant coach was not what are your strengths, uh, and how can I use my strengths as an assistant? It's really right. a, you know, what areas does the head coach need help in? And then you better freaking make those your strengths, regardless yeah. if they are or they're not. Absolutely. You know, that's yeah. an assi- That's the definition of assistant coach that I learned really early on. But for me, I had to look at myself and say, um, as a head coach, going now becoming a head coach, what are my weaknesses? You know, what are the areas that I need help in? Listen, the first year was all about for me getting numbers here, getting a schedule, getting guys through. And it was a very task oriented driven mindset that I had to have as a head coach because it was a brand new program. Right. Um, and so I knew that I had to bring on at the time guys who are really personable um, because I knew that I wasn't going to come off very personable, even though I, I love being personable and getting to know my players. I just knew that first year was really about just making sure we have a bus to go to a game, make sure that, you know, like Absolutely. all these things that-, that go into it. So um, i I had two guys that came in, Justin Harrison, who was a head junior college coach at the time that I, I actually coached when I was at Mid-America. He was a freshman. I was a senior. Um, and then Benny Bardellis, who uh, was over UNC, uh, where was it? one of the, one of the, you, you UNC, anyway, Asheville. Yeah. Asheville. I think so. Yeah. But he was, I played with him at the seahorses. And so I knew that he was a man of faith. I knew he had a lot of character. I knew he had a lot of, um, He's very personable. He was, right. he's, uh, you know, grew up in Honduras, spoke Spanish. Coming, like, it was a perfect fit for us starting off a program. Yeah. Um, and so bringing those guys in was, was perfect. And then, you know, now on staff, I have, as, as things transition as a program, um, you know, the needs of a staff change as well. And now I have David Stockton, who was an assistant at Pacific, assistant at Missouri State, assistant at uh, Cal State Monterey Bay. And we're just super lucky to have him because that dude can get things done, yeah. no doubt. But it's also the different stage of where our program is now too.
0: No, one hundred percent. I think that that touches on it uh, of the detail oriented that you learned from RJ's. You know, your selection of staff year one and and now probably you know when in David leaves, Justin leaves, you know, GAs graduate. It's going to be completely different, right? Yeah. You know, the yep. experiences are different. So now you're going into the to you know 2017. You guys go eight and nine. Then you go from eight wins to 2018. Now you're 12-7 and one, and you reach the NCCAA semis. Um, you know how do you keep your team motivated in this transition? Because you guys weren't attached to a conference yet. There's no postseason. Uh, you know, so basically you're just playing games to play games. You're establishing your philosophy and tactics, yeah. and, and you know, and, and the game of football. But if you're a college athlete, there's a 99% chance that there's some sort of competitive blood in you, right? And so oh, yeah. what, was, what was that challenge like trying to keep players motivated uh, throughout that process?
1: Um, you know, I think it comes down just to being transparent with players in the beginning, you know? Um, I told them I'm looking for a bunch of warriors that are going to go build a program. I didn't say I'm looking for a bunch of warriors that are going to go win us games. Mm-hmm. I said I'm looking for guys that are going to join this program that are going to help build it and want to leave a legacy. And, you know, when guys see that as the bigger picture of what they're doing, we talked about just building a foundation that, you know, that you built, um, I kept the guys really motivated. Um, you know, they, they definitely wanted to get after it. And so the way I run my programs too, and and I learned through my time is like, if I need to motivate you, it's not the place for you. You know, I'm going to facilitate an environment that I think is best for you to grow and develop. But if I have to sit there and motivate you and be your cheerleader every day, it's just not going to be. I'm not that coach for you and no hard feelings. I know some coaches that are great motivators and thrive off of motivating. And that's what they do. Um, But for us, the way I ran the program from day one, even when we had 11 freshmen was um, you're either going to come bring it today or you're not, you know, and, and that's your choice. And I'm not going to sit here and and motivate you. Um, You know, I'm going to sit here and facilitate your environment maybe change some things to help keep the life in it as the season goes on in college. But, uh, but you got to, come here really wanted to do it and so uh we got really lucky with a good group of guys that have a chip on the shoulder maybe came from environments where i knew coming in they're, they're warriors right away absolutely. anyway i always tell players i want people on my team that i can take into a, a dark alley with me and know that we're going to come out just fine
0: <laughs> uh, absolutely and I, and you definitely have a couple of them on there that i would be calling you for help for some of your players that's for sure <laughs> so and it, so now you go you know year two 12-7-1, make the NCCA semifinals, right? And now yep. you're into year three. You guys have been accepted into the GSAC, in my opinion, one of the best conferences uh, in the NAIA yeah. um, with the histories of, you know, Menlo's has quality teams. The Masters has quality teams. Westmont is one of the powerhouses with a yeah, the national championship. Yeah. You know, and and so 2019, you guys go 15-6-2. Uh, You beat number 24, Reinhardt, and then you go on to play uh, Westmont and you lose 2-0. They were four in the country at that time undefeated Mm -hmm. in regular season. And, you know, I kept saying, obviously, I was in Santa Barbara at this time at UCSB, but I had previous experience coaching at Westmont on the girls' side. I kept telling them, like, Ouaz, just keep an eye out. Like, just just keep an eye out, guys. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. okay, okay, yeah. Oh, they've, it's gonna take a couple years, and so now you're in in the GSAC semifinals against uh, a very good side in Westmont, who has you know they hadn't conceded a goal in quite a while now. You know, yeah. their only loss came to Cal Poly, which is a Division One program, uh, and you guys just open up all hell and it was a beautiful (laughs) style of football they didn't have any answers they were confused they were arguing where was it in that moment and mind you I know you're probably thinking about playing in the in the championship the next game but was there a moment there where you just kind of did things flash before your eyes like man no program no building three years later this is where we're already at like what was that feeling like and what was maybe even that thought process now i know you you're already thinking the next game and i get that because you're in a tournament you want to go to the national yeah, tournament yeah. but like yeah. was there a moment where you got to sit
1: down in your hotel room and be like
0: oh, like that it was it was worth it and it still is worth it
1: yeah yeah um 100 there was that moment um and it was afterwards and Actually, it was that evening, and I went – I just went for a walk because we're staying right there next to the boardwalk uh, there in the Center Boards. I was like everything had gone down. You know, the phone calls had stopped, all these things, you know. Um, and that was a great game. And that's – that was a great game, and it all kind of came together like a couple games before that. But that one really all came together. And during that time going up to it, you know, like we had to go to Westmont for the conference tournament. And, again, it reminded me a lot of the times when I was at Pacific and everyone was like – and I was telling everybody, hey, man, we're going to be pretty good. <laughs> and, like, yeah. everyone was laughing at me. Yeah. When, when, I went, when I looked at the Westmont film, they had a great team. Um, and then looking at Westmont going into it, you know, my, my AD comes in. He's like, hey, so what are you thinking? And it's a couple other people around the office or even some – you know, even, even you and the different guys I talked to during the weeks. You um, know, I was like, what are you thinking? And I'm like, man, I think we got them. Like, I, I'm pretty sure we're going to win this game. And people are looking at me like, dude, <laughs> you're playing at their place. They're number four in the country. Like, and, I, and I'm like, and in my and, and all, all in my, well, I'm not faking it. Like, all in who I am and in my brain and everything I feel after watching the film, knowing our team where we're at, I said, man, we're going to win this game. Like, I have no doubts we're going to win this game. And I, and I just, like, not even as a confidence thing, not even as an arrogance, not even trying to motivate. I just knew our team and knew where we were, knew them, and I, I wasn't, Trying to say anything, I just really felt for everything. We we're going to win that game. Um, yeah. And then at the, after that moment, I went on the walk uh, there on the beach right after the game. We got all the guys fed, and I was like, just had to step away to clear the mind so I could get ready for that next one. You know, get back in front of the computer as we all do. Yeah,
0: absolutely.
1: <laughs> and start figuring it out again. So, um, yeah, no, it was. It was just like a a moment of like, okay, okay um, it's working. What we're doing is working. Um, what, we, what we've done so far, how we're doing things, how we're operating. You know, we've had a lot of people leave the program in this time um, and had a lot of people stay. And so I think uh, us, the how we've operated, the way that we decided to, to have our non-negotiables and the way we go things. A lot of times as coaches, we question our non-negotiables, even though they're non-negotiables because right. of the way <laughs> things are going. Yeah. Uh, but I think it was just in that moment where I just, like, was like – it was the first time in the three years where I was like, you know what? all this experience I've had the way that we're doing it, you can always do it better, but it's, it's working. Or we wouldn't have won this game. You know, we wouldn't be doing what we're doing.
0: So you mentioned non-negotiables. This is, this is how I end all my interviews is I, I, I challenge you with a non-negotiable, which is my non-negotiable question. Um, When you're all said and done through all your experiences, all the interactions that you've had within PDP uh, within, you know, going to Mexico, Virginia Tech, all the places that we've already mentioned, um, when you're all said and done, what is the response, if you can think of something, uh, a word that you can be recognized as, what is that legacy you want to leave behind? Who do you want to be remembered as?
1: Uh, my, my word, I Just kind of true and honest and transparent um those types of things I think that I've been the same person at mid America I've been the same person at Virginia Tech I've been the same person at Pacific I've been the same person and operated the same way at Ottawa University um and I think it's just really important that um people know I'm true to who I am to how I think things should be done I don't think I uh I don't want I want people to look say hey Matt got caught up in the rat race Matt just stayed true to who he was and what he liked to do and who he was and um, at the end of the day, you know, I don't think there's an extra special lounge in heaven for those who coached at different levels. I think we're all <laughs> hanging out in the same lounge Absolutely. You know? <laughs> hanging out with the, hanging out with the, uh, uh, you know, the same people talking about the same stories. And so, um, for me, I think I just want to be remembered as a, as a guy who is, was, who is true to uh, himself and true to, to the, you know, the values of just, again, using the game to change people's lives.
0: Absolutely. Well, I mean, I, I can definitely attest. You know, being <clears throat> you being one of my best friends and in, and in, in been there for a lot of things for both of us in our lives is that's that's who you are. You you work hard, you care hard, but you're true to yourself. And some people can call it hard headed. Let's be honest. But <laughs> that's 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 where life is a non negotiable for who you are as a character and your character. And so, uh, Matt, I really appreciate you getting on here, man. Enjoyed the dialogue, yeah. enjoyed the stories, a lot of memory lanes for us, uh, you know, and oh, yeah. definitely we're going to be keeping up with OUAZ, uh, you know, and, and so listeners definitely check out uh, Matt's program because they play a beautiful style of football, um, a lot of variations and flexibility. You might not see the same formation uh, every week um, for tactical reasons, but they're very true in way, the way they do things. And so thank you so much for joining us, man. We really appreciated it.
1: Yeah, I appreciate it, man. Anytime you want to do a 24 hour podcast, I think we could do one. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Sounds good. All right. All right thanks, man. Matt.